Amen. Good morning, children of God. Morning, Mindable Church. It's, uh, it's, good to say, it's good to be able to say good morning at uh, our divine worship now. Quite a few of our churches, uh, like when I spoke last week, I got up to speak at 1 o'clock past. You know, we have been stretching it, but it's good to be able to say good morning in the divine worship. I want to thank Pastor uh, McLean for allowing me to share his pulpit. When he asked me a few weeks ago, I said, Pastor, you're new to the church. You need to occupy your pulpit and be jealous of your pulpit so the saints can get to know you some more. But um, he insisted, and I'm happy to be worshiping with you. When I come to church to worship, I like to hide in the congregation because I come to worship. As I get older, I'm taking this whole business seriously or more seriously. Pastor just woke me up earlier in his introduction. He told you that I graduated 30 years ago. I was a little complacent until I heard that. I began doing the math. And I realized that I taught McLean and Danvers and Montague and Ryan Simpson and a few others but that was 15 years ago. So he's, he's no chicken either. <laughs> and I think I did a crusade here at Mandeville Church. If my memory serves me right, that's 2001. You're old too. That's over 15 years ago. The years are moving on, and they are moving fast. Isn't that right? And before you know it, if the Lord is not here, old age will be here. I mean very old age, if you're lucky. And then the grave will be here, and you will not know it. So the little years we have left... My advice is be nice to everybody. So at least somebody will come to your funeral. Because it won't be long. Be nice, isn't that right? You know, I saw Melissa Flinch, Flinch singing earlier. Melissa, Melissa has a gift from Northern Caribbean University. She just say hi to everybody. Whenever she's coming, she, you know that she's going to leave some endorphins behind and I'm encouraging us, those of us who are in God, just be nice. They don't have to fit your vision of what you think qualifies them for heaven. Just smile and say hello and leave the rest to Jesus, no? Is that all right? You really don't have any heaven to take anybody. And you have no hell to send anyone. So just be nice. And smile the teeth, smile and show some teeth while you still have some. Is that all right? Just be nice to everybody. That's my advice this morning. And you have a new pastor. My encouragement is support and love him. I should hear amen. 
if you don't love, you're not going over the other side, you know. I had to say that to a career Adventist recently. That person has some traits that if I go to heaven and say that individual with those same traits, I'm going to ask God to send me somewhere else. And I said to the individual recently that, listen, I know you don't do anything wrong, but God is not going to spoil his heaven with you if you continue to behave like this. So what heaven is going to be like for you, you have to start practicing it now. You're not going to be, your character not going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Who you are now is who you're going to be on the other side. Am I right? So let us try. I know it's hard to change, but that's why we have the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? And if we ask God to help us to change, we will. I'm not talking to anybody in particular. Because I know that we tend to be very sensitive when you're Adventist. Just accept it as the word of God. It's good advice. But the point is that Pastor McLean, blame him for that. He's the one who said, who started this age thing. And it woke me up. I'm going to be nice to everybody. Luke, St. Luke chapter 19. Let us take our Bibles and turn to God's word and see if we can hear from him today. St. Luke chapter 19. And I'll be using the New Living Translation. That's my reading Bible now, and I'll make it clearer, maybe in the sermon, why it is so special to me for this season. St. Luke chapter 19, reading from verse 41. Let us pray. Father, we know your presence is here. I invite your spirit to now come and stand by your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. St. Luke chapter 19, reading from verse 41, the Bible says, and I'm going to ask you to take it off the screen so that, unless you have the New Living Translation, it says, but as Christ came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead and Jesus began to weep. And then he said, How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late, and the peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it the day when God visited you. Title is Jerusalem Missed It. Christ here in these verses is speaking over Jerusalem. 
But I want you to know today that Jerusalem represents the church. Jerusalem is you. And uh, Jerusalem is me. Jerusalem, the city of David, founded by God uh, in the Old Testament to represent his people. Jerusalem, God uh, made many promises and prophecies over Jerusalem. Allow me to share a few with you. Exodus 36, verse 26, the Bible says, God speaking to Jerusalem. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony heart and give you a responsive heart. Isaiah 1, verse 26, Jerusalem will once again, he prophesied. Be called the house of justice, the faithful city. Joel 3 and verse 17. You will know that I am the Lord your God, live in Jerusalem, my holy mountain. Jerusalem will be holy forever. Jeremiah 14, 7 and 21. Jerusalem prays, for the, for the sake of your own name, Lord, do not abandon us. Please do not break your covenant with us. Joel chapter 3 verse 21. God says as he prophesied, I will pardon my people's crimes which I have not provided. And I the Lord will make my home in Jerusalem with my people forever. Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city God used as a symbol of for his final home in the book of Revelation. A few years ago, I had the privilege of going to Jerusalem. And you know, as I was in the marketplace, I was purchasing some memorabilia to take back home. And I was here interacting with the seller, with the person who was selling me the craft that I was purchasing. And uh, I am ethnocentric, so I was not even thinking that I'm in a foreign country. And the individual should not be speaking English. I'm just talking to her in English. And she's talking back with me. And we finish our transaction. As I walked off, I began hearing her engaging the other customer in another language. That's when I woke up and realized that I'm not in Jamaica or U.S. I'm in Israel. They are supposed to be speaking Hebrew or Greek. So I stopped. I waited until the transaction was over and I walked back to her and I said to her, how many languages do you speak? And she said, I don't know, maybe nine, 10, 11, I'm not sure. I said, where did you learn to speak these languages? I, I, I didn't learn it. I grew up and I caught it because virtually every nation on earth lives in Jerusalem. And so the children, whether they go to school or not, they pick up the language. And they have been living there for hundreds of years, for centuries. All is a melting pot of the entire world. Jerusalem, where Jesus was born. Jerusalem, where Jesus preached. Jerusalem, where Jesus healed. Jerusalem, where Jesus, our Lord, bled. And Jerusalem, where Jesus died. Talking about the death of Jesus, may I call us back or call you back 
to a study of the cross, a personal study. When was the last time you sat down and really study and read about the cross? When you get home today, open your Bible and look at the cross and ask God to teach you what is so significant about the cross that the gospel writers devoted 30% of their work to talking about the cross. Try to answer the question, why Jesus came for the cross? Why he suffered for the cross? Why all that bleeding and all that dying? Why Golgotha? Why the Via Dolorosa? Why Herod and Pilate and the Sanhedrin? Why the crown of thorns and uh, why the mockery of a trial? Why is, that, is it that the Apostle Paul gave up everything? Gave up his prestige and his title and his place among the Sanhedrin and uh, gave up his wealth and uh, social and political clout and standing and uh, committed himself to understanding and preaching the cross of Jesus Christ. When you read his writings in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 2 from the today's Living Translation, the Apostle Paul writes, For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23, he continues, So we preach Christ and him crucified, an offense to the Jews and uh, to the Greeks, all nonsense. Galatians 6 and verse 14, he writes again, As for me, may I never boast in anything, are you listening to me? Sometimes I think as Adventists we brag and boast too much about our achievement and about our numbers and about our influence and about our clout. We need to watch it. You know, the devil is sinister and he's clever. Paul says, as for me, may I never boast in anything except the cross. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest to me has also died. You need to spend some time with the cross again. Why the dying between two thieves? Why Barabbas was released? What lesson the Holy Spirit? is trying to teach us as he captured these experiences from the life of Jesus as he lived on this earth in his incarnated form and documented them for us and write them in the word for our learning. Why the struggle in a garden? Why the prayers with drops of sweat and blood and tears? Go deeper. What was it that was in that cup? That, Jesus, that was so despicable that Jesus did not want to drink it. That even though his father handed him the cup, three times he went and wrestled and prayed a prayer that was refused. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Why the disciples could not keep their eyes open on that dreadful night. Why the seven sayings from the cross? Why the cry, Father, into thy hands I commend, commit my spirit? 
Why God uh, forsook his son that Friday afternoon as he hung on that cross? Jesus, all his life, his entire life, in fact, all of eternity has always enjoyed the company of his father. And more so when he came here as human flesh and walked this earth, there was never a time that he felt broken in his relationship with his father. When he gets up or when he goes out, whenever he's walking, he's certain that there's an unbroken communion between he, himself and heaven until that Friday. Why is it that the sun refused to shine? Why, what Jesus meant when he proclaimed, it is finished. What is finished? What is so significant about the cross? May I commend you again or commit you again to a new study or a renewed study on your knees, asking God to help you to understand your faith what it is that you are baptized into and what this cross thing is all about. Open your Bible and ask God to teach you. Because I have discovered something, you know. I've been around professionally for 30 years. But I've been in the church longer. And there are some things I didn't quite understand. But as I get older, I am understanding. And here is something that people will, are not telling you or probably you have never heard. But let me tell you something, that if we preach the Sabbath, or if we preach any doctrines of the church without preaching the cross, if we get our people to master an understanding of the Bible, but, do, but out of as we preach, if we leave out the cross, we are going to reap a crop of people who are judgmental, arrogant, and filled with intellectual pride. We know more than everybody. It is a cross that breaks you. It is a cross that humbles you. Are you listening to me? It is a cross that teaches us humility. Because whenever we stay at that cross and stare at that cross and realize who was, was on that cross and who he was and uh, how he condescended and emptied uh, himself of everything and uh, humbled himself, and became obedient even to the death of the cross and contrast that with who we are just passing lumps of clay we cannot learn humility until we steer at the cross can you say amen it is a cross that teaches us how to cry to let tears run down our face it is a cross that causes us to see the wickedness and the depravity and the carnality and the hate and the unforgiveness that is in my heart. Maybe not in yours. The blackness and the darkness of our souls. Because when we listen to ourselves in our own eyes, we will fool ourselves thinking that we are wonderful. Forgetting that the book says that in God's sight, my righteousness. You're not getting it. I'm not saying my evil, my right doing, my righteousness, my goodness that I used to parade before people in God's sight is rubbish. It cannot take me over yonder because any good I do is 
tainted with some evil. It is tainted with sin. Are you hearing me? It is a cross that softens the heart of men and women. You can never learn how to love without the cross. We will never be able to manufacture enough willpower to will ourselves into loving each other. We have to learn that at the cross. Because on the cross, God's spirit will tell us that we need to fall in love with who is on that cross. Who gave up glory. Are you, am I preaching to somebody? On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. An emblem of suffering and shame. But I love that old cross. Where the dearest and best for the world of lost sinner was slain. We will never overcome our sins without kneeling at the cross and staring long and hard at Jesus. Kneel at the cross, the song says. Because Christ will meet you there. Can you say amen? I am going through a prayerful study of the cross on my knees. And what motivated me is that over the summer, every year I read out my Bible. And this year I decided to do something differently. I, I, I said I wanted to go through the Bible, but I want to find Jesus in every page. Because the Bible is about Jesus. And he is in every story. That is why it was written. It is not only ancient tales of old Israel. It is telling us something about Jesus. It is written by God. It came from his mind and uh, there is something there. Are you listening to me? So I began reading and I began finding Christ in Genesis and uh, Exodus and I went on and on and then uh, somewhere in November I crossed over into Matthew. And because the Old Testament was so fresh in my head and my mind uh, was so filled with it, in Matthew, I began to see Jesus everywhere. Matthew said, I saw the fullness of the Old Testament being fulfilled in the life of Christ. He's the second Adam. He's the prophet that Moses talked about. He's the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham that in thee, all the children of the earth will be blessed. Can you say amen? He is the fulfillment of the seed when God spoke to the serpent and said, It will bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between she and between she, you and her seed. Are you hearing me? Christ is the seed. Matthew showed me that Jesus is the Israel that came out of Egypt. He's the one who went into the wilderness and where ancient Israel failed in the wilderness, where the journey should have taken 40 days because of their disobedience. It took 40 years. Christ came as the new Israel. Can you say amen? He crossed over Jordan and in his obedience went through the wilderness 40 days. In the ears of brazen serpent, he is the rock that was hung up. He said when he was here in Matthew that he is greater than Solomon. He is greater than the Sabbath. He is greater than the sanctuary. He is greater than Jonah. He is greater than Daniel. He is the one that Zechariah looked for. I read Matthew and began to see all the fulfillment until I came to the cross. 
And when I came to the cross in Matthew, I realized that I didn't know anything. There is something deeper here. I know the story, but I'm missing something. So I kept praying, and the Holy Spirit led me on a search. I wanted someone to teach me, to help these dim eyes of mine, to see what was in front of me in the sacred page that I've read so often. And I found a, a little book titled The Crossy Boar by Frederick Leahy that began to give me a glimpse of something deeper. Now I'm back in the Bible and I'm staring at the cross and I don't know how long or when I will stop. I cannot take my eyes off. I cannot take them away because I'm still stuck in Matthew since November. Staring at the cross. God is on the cross. God is weeping. God is spat upon. God with a crown of thorns on his head. God is dying on the cross. God is dying in Jerusalem. God betrayed. God arrested. God with all the people of Jerusalem around him shouting, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now remember, we are Jerusalem. Are you listening to me? You are Jerusalem. I am Jerusalem. Pilate asked, shall I crucify your king? They responded, we have no king. But Caesar. And so Pilate said, I will whip him and let him go. They said, If you let him go, you are not Caesar's friend. Tell you what, I am going to give you Barabbas, the multiple murderer, the thief whom you all hated and has given to, to me for execution, at whose hands you have all suffered. I will release Barabbas to you. The people of Jerusalem answered, are you hearing me? Pilate said, I'm going to release to you Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the prophet. Jesus the teacher. Jesus the healer. Jesus the miracle worker. He can go back among you feeding his 5,000 and raising the dead. I will release Jesus. But Jerusalem answered, no! Give us Barabbas. Then what will I do with Jesus? I have no use for this innocent man. I have washed my hands of his blood. And they responded, crucify him. I said, crucify him. I cannot take my eyes off the cross. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight. Am I preaching to somebody? And now I am happy. Every day. Nothing else will satisfy but the cross. My bank account won't satisfy. My wealth won't satisfy. My house that I'm in. One day if I stay there long enough and I'm patient. Somebody going to roll my body out. Are you listening to me? Jesus died in Jerusalem on a tree. But before he died. That final week that he spent on this earth, he spoke one last time over Jerusalem. Now don't forget it, Jerusalem is you. And Jerusalem is me, Jerusalem is us. Jerusalem is a metaphor for Jamaica. Jerusalem is a metaphor for this world. Jerusalem is a metaphor for Denton Road. 
Jerusalem is a metaphor for Mandeville Church. Jerusalem is a metaphor for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Are you listening to me? Let's go back and listen to Jesus again here in Luke chapter 19 as he spoke over Jerusalem. This is his final week. It says as he came closer in verse 41 to Jerusalem, Jesus saw the city ahead and he began to cry. God began to weep and he said, How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls. And I've seen those ramparts. And they will encircle you and close you in on every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize the day that God visited you. From the crest of Olivet Mountain, Jesus looked up on Jerusalem. Magnificent temple, marble walls, golden gates, golden towers, golden pinnacles. Jerusalem, the pride of, of the Jewish nation. Jesus stared and then the text tells us in Luke 19 verse 21 that Jesus started crying. Can you imagine it? God in tears. And the tears that he was crying was not for himself. For 1,000 years, God had set his love and sent his love and warnings to Jerusalem. And according to 2 Chronicles 36, verse 16, I can't read it, but you can go home. The Bible says, they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words and uh, misused his prophets. Matthew 23, verse 37 Jesus commenting on uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 16. Listen to Jesus' comment. Here in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 onward, listen to Jesus' words as he comments. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, Jerusalem is you and Jerusalem is me. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills its prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chickens beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate. And he prophesied, for I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say, blessed is the one that comes in the name of the Lord. Can somebody say amen? amen? Jerusalem is us. We have the seeds of Jerusalem in us. How often I've heard members and elders and officers feel free within the church to mock the messengers of God. To despise their words and to misuse his prophets. The children of Jerusalem are alive and well. 
And as blind as Jerusalem was, many of us are still blind. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The reason why many prophets or messengers of God are not as bold in coming to us as they could be is because they're afraid of the stoning. They are afraid of the pain. Jesus, the Son of God himself, was sent by God to Jerusalem. And for three years, this brilliant man, the light of love and glory, walked among Jerusalem. Are you hearing me? And they rewarded him with evil for good and hatred for his love. But it was prophesied in Psalm 109 verse 5. The prophets had wept over Jerusalem and its sinfulness. And now we find in Luke chapter 19, Jesus is weeping. But on Mount Olivet that night, Jesus, the Son of God, not only saw Jerusalem. Christ never sees only what's in front of him. He has triple vision. In fact, he has more than triple vision. He has quadrupled vision. He sees what's in front of him, but he also sees what's behind him. And he see what is coming. But he also see what we can become. Can you say amen? So that night he saw in Jerusalem a symbol of you, a symbol of me, a symbol of the church, a symbol of the world. And until we kneel at the cross and ask God to change us and make us like him, we are all on the same path like Jerusalem. And we are going to meet the same end, like Jerusalem, and it won't be long. The majesty of heaven in tears. We, we need to come to a place where, as a church, are you listening to me, saints of God? We will pray for the desire to be like Jesus, to be humble like Jesus, to love uh, like Jesus, to love ourselves and to love others and to love our neighbor. Can you say amen? The majesty of heaven in Tears, Ellen White says in Desire of Ages that the scene fill heaven with wonder. Jesus crying over Jerusalem shows to us, if we look at it, the deep depravity and blindness of sin. It shows us how hard it is for even God himself to move us out of our sinfulness and to break us and to humble us and to lead us to convictions because one of the problems with too many of us Adventists is because we are too bright. We come to church not to find Jesus, not to learn how to love, not to learn how to worship, but to be critical and analytical and to form a judgment of whatever we see. And if it doesn't fit our little carnal vision, we discard it. We are the children of Jerusalem. It shows us how hard God, it is for God to lead us to conviction and to repentance. I don't know if we know that anymore. And to conversion and to consecration. Each one of us, every one of us, including myself, our hearts are desperately wicked. We are poor and uh, miserable and blind uh, and naked. We cannot change our spots. We are like the leopard. There is none good. 
And I must be humble enough to know that. I don't care what position I ascend to. In God's sight, there is none good. No, not one. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have gone into our own way. God has laid upon us him the iniquity of us all. We are only going to get across yonder if we are in the blood. If we are covered by the blood. If when God looks on us that judgment morning, he doesn't see us but he sees Jesus. Because we like sheep have wandered away. And even as Jesus the prophet prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem. The apostles who listened in awe and wonder to the Savior's words, they along with Jerusalem, after Christ prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem, God waited for 40 years. Are you hearing me? 40 years after the ascension of Jesus on the Mount of Olives, God waited 40 years before he withdrew his protection. And Jerusalem wasted the 40 years. I've been to Jerusalem. The prophecy was fulfilled. The Romans came and they battled Jerusalem and took down their walls. And the people of Jerusalem were pushed back to a place called Masada. Way out there they built some fortress where hundreds of thousands of them went and protected themselves out in the sea and the Romans scraped Jerusalem and built a roadway through the sea to Masada and when the walls of Masada was too high they used the rubble of Jerusalem to build a, 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 a ladder and went up there and slaughtered every single Jew and their children just as Jesus prophesied. The record tells us Josephus, the, 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 the Jewish historian who died at Masada, when he was writing about what was happening, he wrote that not one Christian perished at Masada. Can you say amen? They all remember what Jesus said. Now my question is, God waited 40 years before he sent the destruction after Jesus prophesied. My God is patient. Can you say amen? Sometimes I wonder why God's grace is extended to me. Why God is so patient with us, but he has a love that we cannot understand until we kneel at Calvary. Can you say amen? He waited 40 years, and my question is, how long God has been waiting on you? How long has he been waiting on me? We as Seventh-day Adventists, we have the sure word of prophecy. Somebody say amen. We are forgetting, but we have the sure word of prophecy. The Bible says, we're unto, we do well to take heed. For as a light that shineth in a dark place, can you say amen? And more and more as we see the day approaching, but so many of our youngsters within the Seventh-day Adventist church are doctrinally and biblically illiterate. I know, I teach them. I teach your bright children with 
all their nine subjects that you boast about. Their passes in chemistry and maths and English. But when I ask them basic Bible questions, they are illiterate. We are failing our children. We are failing the next generation. Are you hearing me? Our parents, the old men and the old women and the old pastors and the old patriarchs of old did a good job in indoctrinating us. But when was the last time? You sat with your little one and uh, made sure that you secure them not only for time, but for eternity. Because as Seventh-day Adventists, we have a special role. Can you say amen? We are not here just to look cute and pretty and to grow fat and big within the country. We are not here to let others know that we know more Bible than they do. That is not what it's all about. Our role uh, as Seventh-day Adventists, as is in uh, the prophecy, is that we are custodians and guardians and heralds of the prophecies uh, of Daniel and Revelation. Can you say amen? Some people can't say amen. You have no clue what I'm talking about. We are custodians. Study Daniel 8 verse 14 again. Study Revelation chapters 12, 13 and 14 again. God prophesied and proclaimed that this church. And let me issue another corrective. This is not your church. This is not my church. I have to be careful as a pastor when I used to pastor to say this is my church. Nonsense. I came here and saw it. And if I'm lucky and live long enough, it is going to roll me in and lay me here and bury me and continue. Are you hearing me? This is God's church. Planted, prophesied by him to come up at a certain time and to carry out a certain work and to give the trumpet a certain sound. We are the church of the living God. Are you hearing me? Abraham and the Moses and the prophets and the Peter and Matthew and Ellen White. They were all faithful but they are dead and gone. The work is in your hands. And the work is in my hands and uh, we are custodians. Can you say amen? We are guardians and heralds of the prophecies uh, of the word of God. And God expects us to know it. When was the last time you sit with your pastor as a church and study the prophecies that are embedded in the sanctuary? I wonder what most of our pastors are doing. We have a dragon to fight. Can you say amen? Or are we busy stoning the prophetess? We are Jerusalem. And so often, you know, you hear, you know, you know, you know, you know, Alexander Pope said, a little learning is a dangerous thing. Drink deep or taste not the Pyrian spring, a, a shallow draught intoxicate the brain. But drinking largely sobers it again. So often within 
our church here and there, you, you, you find little theology students or a pastor who graduated for a few years or a few members who, 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 who you know, Ellen White, too. Ellen White was no prophet, you know. Who is Ellen White? And many times these persons who are stoning the prophetess, they cannot even write a good letter. Ellen White, without any education, are you listening to me? God took a little woman who didn't finish primary school. And she has rolled out so many works. Even if she's not a prophetess, respect her for our very work's sake. Because most people cannot even write a good term paper. We have nothing that we have produced. But yet, we are forming judgment and we are critic of the prophetess. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jerusalem! Thou that stonest the prophets and killest them that are sent unto you, how often I've longed to gather you under my wings as a hen gathered her chickens, but you would not let me. We have a work to do. Can you say amen? We are living in the last days. I have a few minutes. Let me, let me, let, let, let me make it plain. We are living in the last days. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 5 as we read uh, Paul's prophecies about, prophecy about the last day. 2 Timothy. We are not trying to anticipate the last days. We are living among the fulfillment of the prophecies of the last days. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The Word of God says, you should know this, that in the last days. Huh? In fact, my, 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 can you put that on the screen for me and put it in the King James Version? I like the King James Version of it. If you can do that, I'd appreciate it. It says, this know also, Paul's prophesying. That in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now, now, now Paul wrote 2,000 years ago. Perilous times is not shall. It is here. For men shall be lovers of themselves. It is here. Boasters. Covetous. Huh? Proud. In church and out of church. Blasphemous, disobedient to parents, we are in the last days. Unthankful and unholy, we are in the last days. Next, without natural affections. <laughs> I'm not preaching to you. Are you listening to me? 2,000 years ago, the prophet, the apostle Paul says... In the last days, perilous times shall come. We are in the last days. Without natural affection, truce makers, false accusers, incontinent and fierce, despisers of those that are good. Come on. Without traitors, last days. Heady, last days. High-minded, last days. And Paul was not only talking about those who are outside of Jesus. He was also talking about those who are in the church. 
Now notice I didn't say in Jesus. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness. Are you listening to me? But denying uh, the power thereof from such, the apostle Paul says, uh, turn away. And the Bible tells us that in the last days, the spirit of God uh, will be withdrawn from the earth. These are evidence of the last days. This, as God's plans to come as the judgment day approaches he says in acts chapter 17 verse 31 i have appointed a day in which i will judge the world as that day fast approaches he will call the holy spirit home and as the holy spirit comes home as the holy spirit slowly withdraws from the earth are you hearing me men will become lovers of them of their own selves the spirit is between drawn People are boastful and proud, full of pride and scoffing of God. These are signs that God's spirit is being withdrawn. We need to check ourselves. And as the spirit leaves, the devil takes his, his place in the hearts and in the homes, in Congress and in the church, in parliament and in the country. Are you hearing me? In speech, in crimes and violence, in vulgarity, and even in dress. I wouldn't believe that in my lifetime, women, I was taught growing up that boys are made of frogs and snails and puppy dog tails. And I believe that nonsense, you know. But women, girls are made of sugar and spice and everything that is nice. But today, when I drive on the street, men will stand up and pee in your presence. And the girls, I, I can't tell you what they're wearing. But there is nothing left to the imagination. It's all there. The Spirit of God is being withdrawn. Ungratefulness, signs that the Spirit of being withdrawn, nothing is considered sacred anymore. People are unloving. And unforgiving. Are you hearing me? Slander each other little or no self-control. Friends uh, betraying friends. Lovers uh, of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness. But no power. But Paul tells us it's the last days. Little prayer. Form of godliness. When was the last time you hear T.D. Jakes or Joel Osteen or these tele-evangelists, whether it's Creflo Dollar, preach repentance? Or preach against sin? The Bible says, He, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people, not in their sins, but from their sins. There is such a thing called sin. And it is still the transgression of the law. Can you say amen? But there are so many churches everywhere. A form of godliness but no power. Little prayer. Little faith. Little Bible reading. Little worship. Little fellowship. Little forgiveness. Little sacrifice. Little praise. Little gratitude. Are you hearing me? Little service in the community. Weak testimonies. Little stewardship. Empty preaching. And little compassion for the least of these. We are in the last days. 
and the spirit of God uh, is being withdrawn. No armor of God, no helmet of salvation, no use of the sword of the spirit. Few feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The belt of truth is little worn. How few in God's church know how to use the shield of faith. Are you hearing me? To quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, my friends, and I'm speaking to myself, God's spirit is being withdrawn. After Jesus spoke, Jerusalem became complacent and continued in their sin. They went home after Sabbath and had their big meal and went back to work and continue. All things continue as they were from the beginning. They crucified Jesus and he ascended and they forgot all about it until the Romans came. The Spirit of God is again being withdrawn from the earth. And only those who abide, listen to me, under the shadow of the Almighty are safe. How about you? Are you safe? Are you abiding under the shadow of the Almighty? Jerusalem missed it and they missed it twice. They missed it in the Old Testament. And Nebuchadnezzar came. They missed it in the New Testament. And Titus under the Romans came. But thanks be to God. Jerusalem because of Jesus Christ. Will not miss it a third time. John the prophet says. I saw a new heaven. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city. Say amen. The new Jerusalem coming, I said, a new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will live with them. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things are passed away. And behold, he that sat on the throne said, I am making all things new. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the ending. I am the first. And I am the last. I will have the last say so. There is a holy and beautiful city. Whose builder and ruler is God. John saw it descending from heaven. When Patmos in exile he trod. Its high massive walls of jasper. The city itself is pure gold. And when my frail tent here is folded, my eyes shall its glory behold. I said in that bright city. Pearly white city, do I have a witness? I have a mansion. A harp on the crown. Somebody help me preach. Now I am watching, waiting and longing for that white city. John saw coming down no sin is allowed in that city and nothing defiling or mean 
no pain and no sickness can enter and no creep on the doorknob is seen her sorrows and cares are forgotten no tempter is there to annoy no parting words are spoken and nothing to hurt and destroy no heartaches are known in that city and no tears ever moisten the eyes there is no disappointment in heaven and no envy or strife in the sky the saints are all sanctified holy they live in sweet harmony there and my heart i said my heart is now set on that city and someday by god's grace its blessing i'll share in that bright city pearly white city i have a mansion a hope and the crown now i am waiting and i'm watching and i'm longing for that bright city john saw coming down because of the cross because of jesus's blood we are going over yonder and it won't be long soon we'll be leaving it won't be long and soon we'll be going home let us count the years as months and count the months as weeks for any day now and the city 